Welcome to Pod Clubhouse Press Pass, your one-stop shop podcast where we take you behind the scenes with coverage of festivals, cons, and live events. We're in the middle of our continuing coverage of Season 10 of the ATX TV Festival. Today, we're giving you the roundup from Day 5 at ATX. The festival, which is all virtual this year, runs until June 20th, and you can still buy your badges at atxfestival.com. Hey, Caroline. Hey, Paul. How you guys doing? We haven't been on one of these yet, I don't think. Have we? Is that so weird? I know. We're, we're all ATX lovers, and yet, no, we haven't. We haven't happened to mix and mingle. It's the first time we're crossing the streams. <laughs> we're, the streams are being crossed, and it feels so good. <laughs> well, let's get into day five, you guys. So there were four panels, or there three panels and one screening. Uh, I think we covered two of them. Uh, we're going to be talking about the Republic of Sarah panel Q&A. And then there was a really fun screening of the unaired pilot of LA Confidential, followed by a Q&A by the creators and one of the cast members from that show. I guess it's just episode. <laughs> I guess it really wasn't a show so much as an episode. They do this occasionally where they where they have these unaired pilots. I remember the first year we went, they had uh, Rob Thomas, you know, the creator of Veronica Mars, not not Matchbox 20, but the other right. uh, Rob Thomas. I was about to ask several questions. Okay, I'm glad you clarified. All right. <laughs> he, he lives in Santana Austin. Santana there? Was Santana there? I would be very... No, no, just, just the guy who ruined Veronica Mars. And... Oh. Uh, and he lives in Austin and commutes to, to L.A. for work. And he had a pilot that didn't get picked up, but it was crazy. It was just like L.A. Confidential, where it's like you're watching this thing that's professionally done. It's got Rob Corddry, who's a pretty well-known comedic you know, character actor, married to Heather Graham, who's a very well-known face. And it's sort of a mixed family sitcom that, that would have been a... Very much a modern family before modern family hit, but it wasn't picked up. And it, and it, the same sort of thing as LA Confidential, where they just sat there and explained, you know, timing wasn't there, this, that, and the other, whatever. But you still get to see it. And it's like, same impression I had of LA Confidential, which was like, this is pretty well done for not getting, <laughs> <laughs> getting, getting picked up. Yeah, I mean, one of my favorite things from that from the panel was that they they talked pretty honestly about CBS, and you know, essentially, this is not a direct quote, but it's pretty close. You know, CBS was really behind the show, backed them all the way until they didn't. When you look at the pilot season from CBS that year, because they actually they made reference to the shows it was up against in the pilot season. So I went and looked from 2018. Here are the procedural slash legal slash type dramas at CBS that year. There was a show called Chiefs. Another one called Murder, one called Redline, which got a series order, Maine Justice. Was that Maine like the state Maine or? No, Maine. Uh, it was actually, it was based on Eric Holder, a former former Attorney General Eric Holder. And oh. He was, he was okay. roughly involved with it somehow. Okay. And then The Code, which was a spinoff, I think, of some other show. It got a series order, but I don't think it actually ever came to air. And then Magnum P.I., which was the big breakout hit from that pilot season. So up against those, you kind of see, like, it was there was a big glut on murdery shows. And I just, I can't see CBS doing the neo-noir, you know, the <laughs> noir crime drama. It's just not their bag. So what did you two think of L.A. Confidential, the movie? Because always when we have something with source material, such a beloved movie, that can, you know, be problematic. I count it amongst my favorite movies. 
and I don't have a lot in this genre in terms of the either the like you said the neo noir or this time period or whatever. But I just love that it has so many faces that either you already knew or you would come to know. You didn't know Guy Pearce and you didn't know Russell Crowe before this. But you sure did afterwards, <laughs> you know. Right. Yeah. I mean, I was surprised to see Walton Goggins uh, attached to it. Yeah, wasn't that funny? Uh, it is, and and you think about like what he had already done. I mean, he had already done Justified, and yeah, so many other shows before then. And that's a big name in in 2018 to not make it run. He didn't really have any other anybody else to play with on that level. That's true. Yeah, Brian J. Smith. Like I knew who Brian J. Smith was uh, even when I. When I saw him in the show and then I saw him, uh, you know, on the panel, I was like, I know that guy. I know that name, but not of like the Goggins level. Not for sure. The Goggins level. The, the, on the Goggins scale. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll have to start using that. I was like, where would you rate them on the Goggins scale? <laughs> we were going through the cast last night and I pointed out that, that uh, let's see, the, the captain who played a big role. You guys might have recognized him from Your Honor. He played uh, the the muscle for the mobster. Isn't that funny, Mike? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yes, I yes, totally, yes. when he was like talking, I was like, oh my gosh, but he looks so much smaller. <laughs> uh, we also had maybe some issues when, because I guess the comparison that you make. That's what I'm saying. When you have the source material of such a great movie, was this like doomed in a way? If you're going to try to replace a Russell Crowe type and you're going to have the character pretty much be the same guy, the same bullish turned off and like Hulk mode when he hears about women being mistreated kind of guy, it's very natural to make a comparison to Russell Crowe. And when I don't want to make uncharitable comparisons, but this dude just wasn't Russell Crowe. And I kind of, I guess mentally I needed him to be. Yeah. So I come at it from the other angle. I have no strong attachments to the movie. I've seen it. I probably haven't seen it since what, 97, 98, whatever it came out. Right. Yeah. Uh, I, that's probably the last time I saw it. I don't think about that movie ever so that wasn't an issue for me in any way shape or form and listening to them talk it was clearly on the mind of the creator talking about the plots that they were going to use from the book and from the movie and and not use right right they were going to emphasize that's why they were starting with the frankenstein killer versus like the night owl massacre because he wanted to like earn his own stripes right He, he said he's like i wanted to earn the trust of the viewers on our own two legs and not compete with the movie because of what you guys are talking about because the people who love the movie love the movie and it would be impossible to not compare them so do new material uh, from you know elroy's book but not as maybe identifiable with the movie aspect which i guess if that's what you're going to do if this is the project you're going to do that's probably the smartest way to do it funny you put like the most recognizable actor in the one character that that everybody who's seen the movie knows dies (laughs) (laughs) Right, right, right. Well, and yeah, and I mean, obviously it didn't get picked up, but I I had some issue in just watching it with things like the lighting and or the the way that they handled the characters like skin and makeup and hair and things like that, like didn't in any way give you the glam part that you also need of LA Confidential. I mean, it's LA and you want that kind of glam part and, and it was missing that. And so you could really feel that although Paul was really enamored with how much money they must've spent on getting all the, the cars and, and the look, they were missing some little pieces that you could see where it didn't all That's, fit. It's funny you mention it like that because also, like Caroline just mentioned, I, I had, whenever I see a large collection of classic cars like that, I know it's it's not, 
I know they have a list of people that they use to, to get those cars when they need them. But the, still, the set dressing the whole street to look like yeah. the time period and, and doing all that. Plus, they had some like drone shots and stuff. This, is, this costs some money to make yeah. this this pilot. But then as you finish it and you see some of the scenes are a little stilted the way that they come out. And, and you're like... I bet they still wish they could have redone some of that. I kind of wish they will go back to this at some point. Like, like try again, because this is still such good source material. It strikes me that doing something like this, so why bring this out? It's not like it's an anniversary of an on-air pilot. It's just three seasons ago. So something tells me part of the angle of doing this and taking it to ATX. And I mean, there's only four things happening at ATX yesterday. This is one of them. So for people who are watching ATX all day, you're going to see this. Something tells me part of the strategy has to be maybe you get new interest in it because why else do it? Why else kind of take it on the road unless you were trying to get the band back together a little bit? None of these guys strike me as doing anything so super important that they wouldn't go back to this project if the chance arose again. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Well, I had looked up some of the IMDb stuff for some of the creators. I couldn't find Anna Frick, but but Michael Dinner, he has an impressive IMDb of a lot of successful long running productions where he he doesn't make them. He just sits in for a season or two as a as an EP or consulting producer or something like that. But the creator, Jordan Harper, his IMDb is a little more sparse in terms of creator level credits. He also has a he has you know stuff that he's done for sure. I'm not going to discount any of that, but this was definitely kind of a jump for someone with the resume that he has. I think dinner was clearly the the driving force behind the scenes. Just the deference that Jordan was giving him, it seemed to be he was the one making this go. He was the one who was making the phone calls and and really making it happen because he is so established. It struck me, though, this would have been a very expensive show for CBS to make. (laughs) You know, I think in the the pilot season, when CBS sits down and one of the not creative considerations that they're looking at is the spectrum of cost. If if they can get a Magnum PI for less money an episode than this time period piece, you know, to keep constantly recreating LA, they're going to go with Magnum PI all, you know, it's nostalgia and it's crime drama and it's, you know, whatever it's going to interest people. Let's go with the cheaper version of that. I think where they went wrong with the show is trying to shop it at a network show. This is the kind of show that should be on like TNT. And I say TNT because TNT comes out with, I am the night the year after this Uh, patty jenkins directed chris pine starring mm -hmm. same noir it's the 1940s la gritty as hell you feel the heat you feel the urgency you feel you feel like like a mosquito landing on the back of your neck you want to slap watching the show because it feels like it and it's got the money it looks expensive it's lush is it the best show ever no but it was highly entertaining and it was scratching every itch that this noir crime drama was doing so it's possible to do this you just need to do it in the right fit and and honestly if you guys like this then you should go watch i am the night it was it was definitely worth you know it's worth going to look up on tnt plus plus they had uh they have snowpiercer in their stable which they would wind up doing a year or two later after this which is also a a show with both graphic novel and movie comparisons and uh, they are all in 
on Snowpiercer. Right. <laughs> and that's expensive. Right. And they keep right. they, they, they want to pump out more and more of that. So you, I think you were on to something when you have like you have like you're saying, when you have CBS who makes all of the the initial shows, the CSIs and all that, they're geared up to make right now police procedurals. Is it any <laughs> surprise that they picked another police procedural to go with? Right. I mean, and also not to go back to TNT, but then, then they also have the alienist who, you know, they're spending money yeah. to recreate in minutia and in high detail a New York that hasn't existed in 120 years. So, it, yeah, it's all about finding your right fit. The place that's making NCIS, NCIS LA, NCIS, you know, uh, New Orleans, uh, you know, all of those kinds of shows. They're not. Yeah, exactly. NCIS in your pants, you know, like all. Yeah. Uh, NCIS, SCIN, you know, whatever. Oh uh, we're not even about the Navy anymore. We're completely landlubbers now, you know. So, oh uh, uh, yeah, that's not the right channel for this kind of show. It's not. We can have a whole podcast that's just not only just pilots and talking about them, but also <laughs> rematching them up with the with who they should have actually gone with, like what channel, what streaming service, what what network should have had them, and then of course change out cast and such as necessary. I have a long-standing fascination with pilots that never made it to air. Without saying too much, it's been a podcast idea that I've had in this in this area for a long time. Add the twist of fixing it because I think that 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 you guys just did a great job of explaining how you could adjust it and, and made it work. Yeah. We can start with the uh, unaired Wonder Woman pilot with Adrian Palicki. <laughs> There you go. Uh, but anyway, I mean, there is. It's not that there's not a hunger for this kind of show because people liked Perry Mason, and it is just about the same show. Yeah, except for it's HBO spending money versus CBS. It all comes back to that. I honestly, I think it all comes back to how much are you willing to put into premium television versus commercial television. Yeah. You know, can we actually make money on this show, or are we just doing it for prestige? You know, mm-hmm. HBO is going to give you a prestige show. TNT is going to give you prestige. A- AMC, FX, they're going to spend the money. They don't care about the awards. Not really. You know, maybe a technical award because it makes them feel good. It's it's we lord this movie star, you know, to television to do this six episode thing. Watch it now and then it's gone. And, and that's become this whole show boast. Network television just can't survive like that. They can't. Well, speaking of another network that we're going to question whether this is the perfect fit for this one, we have The Republic of Sarah was another panel that we all watched, the the episode that was available, and also the panel. What were some gut responses to this show? I've been hot on this show since March. I got a, I got a uh, an email from the CW back in March about the initial screening and information about the show, and it was coming. As soon as I read the just the log line, I was in on it. I love the idea. I love history things. I don't want to sound like the guy from the panel, like I'm obsessed with it, like where I have a minor degree in cartography. Um, but I, but a I like. Maybe you do. But a little bit, I do. I, I like maps. I like old maps. I for certain, if it's got like a burnt edge, like a pirate was smoking a cigar <laughs> by it, I'm in. You know, oh and God. so like when I, I, you, my nipples were so hard when she oh overlays God. the two river maps and shows the lines. I was like, yes, overlay them, overlay the maps. I was, okay. I was really into it. I have to agree that that moment, my, the teacher side of me was like transparencies. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. No, and so the, the concept is great. And I, you know what? I'm not ashamed to say I like CW shows. I was a big Arrowverse fan for years. I watched Dawson's Creek. You know, like I've watched a lot of the CW shows. This is a pretty good CW show. It's it's a better CW show, I think, than you normally get. I think it's a very serious subject matter. The people are pretty, like they came out of CW casting, but they're not so pretty like you normally get on a CW show. I feel like this is them upping their game. So I think the challenge facing the show is going to be that you have two different premises here that I'm not quite sure that you can mush together. So we have this cartography town driven by this loophole and how, you know, you have this strong school teacher leader. I think they could have done all of that and forgotten about the teenagers entirely and just stuck with this town. And you could have had more of like a Northern exposure, men in trees, quirky town with a lot of different people and personalities, and they have to solve this problem together kind of feel. But then you also have this element of high school. And, you know, right in the pilot episode, we have hands down pants slapping at hunters. We've got, oh, I'm going to punch you in the face kind of is a lot of stuff like that, that I'm thinking, okay, are the people who want to see if Hunter is going to, you know, get in her pants, are they the same people who care about cartography and governmental loopholes and the relationships between an ex-senator and her children? Are they an alcoholic ex-senator? Yeah. Are they the same? And does it work? And as the group, I think, that are probably more interested in the cartography side, are we okay and can we sort of stomach watching Hunter have to figure out that people don't want to sleep with him? <laughs> well, the, the, well, I think you've nailed, the, nailed it on the head. This is a CBS show that is trying to find an audience on the CW. How do you solve a problem like Maria? This is not a CW subject matter. It's not a CW, CW cast, but it's on the CW. So they're, they're going to have to find a balance to bring in, you know, uh, you're, you're an adult. You're a Nana who loves maps because you were there in 1862. <laughs> or you're how like do you, a how do you tell her resident, you right. know, who's like, I love this small town and like fight for independence, you know? Right. How do you tell Nana where the CW channel is? She doesn't know. It, it's not two. That's the only channel she she watches. Right. Judge you know? Judy. Right. Exactly. <laughs> Judge right, Judy right. and she would have watched the Republic of Sarah, but, right. but now not so sure. And so I, I'm confused about that portion and and also, I have to speak to this, you guys. I have to speak to the production because while most of it seemed pretty good, there were some moments that I was like, uh oh, when we have Sarah sitting up on her dad's rock and her brother comes and sits with her, when he goes to sit on the rock, it bounces. <laughs> it literally bounces because it's made of foam. And so you really, I was completely taken out of the moment. Like, I was like, that entire rock just bounced like how did that editor let that go (laughs) well and i don't want to nitpick i'm just saying like that could get dicey if that continues if there's continued flubs of those types that you're like oh i'm watching a teenage production of an adult program that gets tough mike did you ever watch uh jericho i did i did this, this reminds uh, I think me. I watched it in repeat, so I didn't watch it like when it originally aired. I mean, if you take out the nuclear holocaust aspect of it, the isolated town um, trying to find their way in a in a new way of of dealing with themselves, where they might have to be self sufficient, that kind of thematically feels very close. Yeah, and that one also had a teen storyline that, for the most part, felt like a distraction until that the teenager became like a local crime lord. <laughs> right. Well, see, the thing is that I, I really 
loved, okay, and again, this is coming from a teacher past. I loved seeing Sarah teaching in front of the class. I have no issue with having high school be a part of it because she was so passionate. Like I was interested in the surveyor. Like I was like, tell me more. I love this. She was so charismatic, but then I didn't care about why the one kiddo wasn't talking that much and that she missed LA. Like I I was less invested in all the teenage stories. I think ultimately to make this show run, they're going to not need to get bogged down in the high school stuff. They need to be a serious show and use the kids. If you're going to use it for like some lighthearted fair to break the ice every now and then, but they have to shift away because you know what the, the showrunner was talking about, he was talking about how he, uh, he likes the minutia of world building, not like the large question, of how do you build a nation but what does the money look like you know what how do you make a flag all that stuff i love that give me fucking 20 episodes of that i don't need to know about the teenage love story ultimately the viewers of the show that are going to make it last are going to be the adults who are watching it for the republic of sour part not for the teenage angst part the, the teenage part I, I i wholeheartedly say leave it to in order to develop the other characters leave it to develop how Sarah has this teaching side and her message of like, everybody is an individual and you can count and stuff like that. Yay. Hurrah. Or, you know, obviously we have this younger child with unknown fatherhood there. That looks like pretty, pretty uh, good stuff coming. I feel like there's some stuff going on there, but just, just use it to develop the adult. You know Danny is that baby daddy. I know Danny is that you, baby you, daddy. Oh, he was sweating it too. He's like looking at all the Facebook like, oh. Right. He was sweating it on the panel. He oh, was yeah. like, oh my God. He's like, I still make a paternity payments on that baby. He's over there doing his fingers like in three plus nine months plus subtract. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. What right. else did I you love really about the- I was really drunk on it. What else did you love about the panel? going towards my feeling that they have to move away from any kind of focus on the high school stories to make the show last in the long term. There were none of the kids were on the panel. The only the adults were there on the panel. And I like that. That gave me hope that maybe that was a signal that we don't have to really worry, you know, like kind of like how Raymond starts. It's not really about the kids, you know, <laughs> right. uh, you know, that, that I think that will uh, last. I, I think, I think that's the key. Uh, what I like about the panel, I like the actors, none of which are terribly famous, all seemed into the roles. They all seemed to have a good sense of who they were and uh, who their characters were and seemed invested in at least their own stories. You know, there are a couple of good spokeswoman, uh, spokespeople there. I think Nia Holloway, who plays AJ. I think that's her name. Uh, you know, she she was a good spokesman for her character and I think did a good job of drumming up interest in the mystery or backstory or surrounding her character that apparently we'll find out over the course of the season. It, it's a young cast. It's a largely unknown cast. And that's asking all of them a lot to carry this show again, because it is on the CW, but it's not your typical CW show. It's it's another thing not helping it that they don't have a big name to really help carry it uh, or sell it to people. So I, I think it's got its road ahead of it, uh, a long road ahead of it, but I hope it finds its way. I remember the guy who played Danny. Uh, he was on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for a little while. Yeah, Luke. What was his name? Luke. Luke Mitchell. Yeah, he's got that kind of generic handsome guy face, <laughs> you yeah. know, with some 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 beard that's trying to happen and, and all that. <laughs> That's that's the Scott Patterson five o'clock shadow. Right, right. I think you're right. I think you're onto something. If this is going to work, 
I wish them all the luck, though, because, hey, I love a quirky concept. I love a small town. I, you know, CW and Gilmore Girls, you know, How's My Heart, Bunheads, and all the good stuff that comes out of CW is right. perfectly capable of entertaining me and keeping me watching. So I really hope that they just remember to keep that balance. You know, I, Gilmore Girls is a perfect example. It could have stuck all of its time in Rory and made it like the adults were periphery, but it didn't. You know, all the adults were fully developed and had their storylines and everything was going on. And also there was Rory. Well, because they wanted moms and daughters to watch that show. Right. And so hopefully in this case, this is a little trickier, but I I really just, we have a lot of adult storylines and they're fun, quirky, weird people. Like I, you know, Sarah is an unusual girl. You know, if you're going to find a young adult woman dying to talk to you about cartography, you know, snatch her up. I liked the, the uh, what's his name? Jeffrey, Jeffrey Paul King. He had a great line that I actually really liked because the the whole punk rock aspect of her, but she's also a teacher. Her whole vibe, but she's also into history and into cartography. She's got a lot of stuff going on there. She's got a lot of quirks going on there. But he, he was talking about how imperfect is perfect. And that's kind of the theme of the show. It was, it was an answer to why punk rock and using punk rock on the on the show on, in the episodes and stuff. And I think he, had, he told a story about calling up the or the channel calling up the licensing companies and getting the list of songs that they wanted to license and like you want to put these on a cw show you know because they're all like hard punk rock like authentic punk rock songs and stuff and just the idea is just so bizarre and and he was using punk rock and mosh pits and that whole world as kind of a metaphor for this imperfect is perfect thing which is kind of the vibe he's trying to capture like all these kind of misfits that are going to have to come together to build this little country is there a, a a vibrant punk scene within driving distance of lots of New Hampshire loca- locales, uh, to your knowledge, Mike? Uh, no, no, no. I, I don't think there is. I, I think it's probably a very small scene, but probably very dedicated. Would be my guess. As most of those groups are. The smallest scenes are always the most dedicated because they're the true fans, you know? Well, those are two amazing panels. I think that we got a chance to check out and I'm I'm missing all of our fan interaction. I'm missing all of the, what are you watching? What are you watching that we got to do? But I'm glad that over on Twitter, a lot of people are using the hashtag ATX TV season 10. You can go over and kind of check it out and see what people are talking about and get an opportunity to feel like a little bit like you're getting that fan time because boy, I'm missing it. If you were interested in any of these, they're going to be running, I think, for the Festival of These Panels. And I think the episodes on Republic of Sarah, they have episodes one and two because the series actually premiered yesterday during like right before, right after the panel happened, the actual show premiered. So episodes one and two, if you have a badge, you could go watch the first two episodes on the video on demand. Uh, Head to ATXFestival.com for all your festival needs. And we'll be back for day six coverage tomorrow. We have actually a bunch of exciting stuff tomorrow. Are you guys more excited for Central Park, Mythic Quest, Michael J. Fox getting a excellence award. Dennis Leary's supposed to be the moderator for the Michael J. Fox. Oh, so that'll that's be yes. fun. <laughs> yeah, I think it's gonna be really interesting. And then they have oh, there's the lady. She's from uh, from Pose. She's getting Angelica a breakthrough. Ross. Angelica Ross getting a breakthrough award. So uh, big stuff going. Big stuff going on tomorrow. So yes, this is Caroline. This is Paul. And this is Mike. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Pod Clubhouse feeds at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And uh, if you could leave us a five-star ring, that would be great so we don't have to secede from the union. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. 
Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you.